0: Amazing, you know, being preachers of the gospel and having an opportunity to talk about the church on a regular basis to people. And of course, every sermon can't be about the church. <laughs> you know, every sermon can't be about water baptism. You've, you've got so many things in the Bible to cover. But there are questions about the church that are asked. And I, I think the ones that we're going to talk about are the most commonly asked questions about the church. The first is, what would you do? If someone asks you why you attend the Church of Christ over all the other denominations that you could attend,
1: well, that, and, and I, I think that I'd like to begin with the thought that you know I searched for a long time. I did not grow up in mm-hmm. the Church of Christ, and so I was asked this question, you know, quite a bit. You know, when I, when I put on Christ in baptism, when I, you know, was attending. Uh, faithfully you know right from the beginning and, and people could see a change in what I was doing and obviously what I believed and saw that there was some difference there this question seemed to come up along you know why do you why do you attend the Church of Christ what is it about you know the Church of Christ and you know the the thing that I want them to know is look it's not it wasn't convenient it was not uh, you know a, a close Buy option. It wasn't you know. It was more than just a, this was the family church. This was uh, this was uh, this was the church that I found in Scripture, mm-hmm. and and I visited uh, most every denominational group uh, at least under the big categories uh, that's out there, and and you know it was and I did that for a, a good long time trying to find something new that I needed to change my life, knew that I need, needed to live a better life, but uh, as far as Religion, you know, quote unquote, was concerned. I didn't know, so I was out there searching. Now, at the same time, I was searching. My wife was a member of the church, and at the time we were dating, and so I would go home and visit, and I'd visit where she attended, mm-hmm. and that happened to be the the Church of Christ. And therein, I was hearing gospel sermons. Mm-hmm. I was hearing scripture, and I would go and I would visit these other places. You know, uh, the rest of the month, you know, that might be a once a month thing, but I would go you know, to these other places. And, and and I would hear a lot of opinion, a lot of, you know, stories and different things like that, a lot of anecdotes. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't hearing gospel. I wasn't right. hearing a lot of scripture. I could go visit the Church of Christ on one occasion, and I would hear more scripture in one sermon than I would hear the whole rest of the month, maybe the next two months. Uh, combined and so that that told me something you know that they had a respect for Scripture Well, what was it that it was um, you know about the Church of Christ well it was about reading it in Scripture it was finding the, the truth there and that's really what it was for for me you know in finding the truth and so when somebody asked me the question I want them to understand you know I did, I wasn't born in it um, you know I found it in Scripture you know based in Scripture I say, well, you know, but isn't every church, you know, out there, you know, part of Scripture, you know, and you'll get that a lot of time, kind of connected to this same question, um, but need to soon realize that our Lord promised to build His church, Matthew 16:18. I will build my church. And, and that's important to note because he says, my church. And you will talk to a lot of people out there and say, well, my church or his church, her church, this church, that church, black church, white church. There's a lot of different options that are out there. Um, you know, a lot of different hyphenated type churches that are out there. But Jesus said, I'll build my church. I want to be a part of that church not some man's church. I want to be a part of our Lord's church. He said, I'm going to build my church. That's where salvation is, Ephesians 1, 3. I want to be a part of it. And I find out that he is, in fact, the head of the church, Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23. And, And therefore, he talks about the body being that church. And so just a few chapters later in Ephesians, I read in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there is one body. Mm -hmm. It's exclusive in and of itself. I didn't make it exclusive. Our Lord made it exclusive by building it. So it's not one among many denominations. It is one. It's not a denomination. And therefore, it is the one. We read about right here. Now, uh, if, if, if I come along and I read in scripture, this is what the church is you know, supposed to be doing, this is what characterizes the church, here's the entrance of how you get into the, that church, uh, not joining it, but being added to it, Acts two forty seven. Those mm-hmm. those type of things that you hear about in the world, those things don't seem to match scripture. And that became a problem for me right off the bat, but that was one of the first things I was beginning to notice, that some of these particular groups, I'd go to this one, they're talking about, this is how one's saved. Well, you just believe, this is how one's saved. You know, you repent and do a, you know, be a a better person and everything and ask Jesus in your heart. Well, I'm looking for scripture for that, and I don't see it. And yet, I can read about the Lord's church, and this is how they were added to the church. This is how they were saved. And I can do those things and be that, one church the one body and I think that's that's important and that's that's where I try to take the conversation and I simply would ask this of that individual who in turn asked me if mm-hmm. I could if I have the time to do so is I'm gonna ask so what opportunity have you had to study about the one church of the Bible because I want to make that point and I want to give them opportunity too mm-hmm. to study it because that's you know for me that's what was most important sure. uh, it was was studying about the one church
0: well, it's amazing. You brought up some of the points that I would have brought up myself. You know, Matthew sixteen eighteen, my church,
1: mm-hmm.
0: singular. Acts two, you have the day of Pentecost where the church is f- starting to get going because mm-hmm. the members are, are being being added to the church. Two forty seven says added to the church. Yeah, daily. Now, a couple of questions. You know, the, why do I attend the Church of Christ? It's the only church I find in the Bible. And if all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for all parts of my life, then I'm very well off by looking only in this book for where I can Absolutely. go to church. Imagine if on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had had been preached and all of this had happened and Peter then said, now, once you've been baptized, what church would you like to attend? Would you like to, to attend this church or that church? What about this contemporary church? that wasn't even on the table. Right. There was nothing on the table. In fact, you have at the start of Acts 2, the church is starting and everybody is coming together. They're being added to the church daily. You get to the book of Galatians though, and you find a problem.
1: Yeah. You have
0: mm-hmm. a church that is, or church is I should say, that are no longer even following after what they had been taught. And Paul says, I'm, I'm very surprised by this, that you would be so quickly removed from what you were told. And what they had done was of course go back to the old law. They'd gone back to the way that the old law and the Old Testament work and they were using that as their their justification. But Paul says you know there is not another in the book of Galatians. There is no other law. There is no other gospel. He says that in verse uh, number uh, 7 that which is not another. You think you're under a new gospel but there is no other. There's one. There's Mm -hmm. only one gospel. Uh, When I say this is my wife, she's my only wife. I can't have more than one I you know unless our married our marital bond breaks, dissolves whether through divorce because of fornication or whether one of us dies the only way that we're no longer going to be married is if those two things one of them happened as long as we are living and married she is my wife singular and she is no one else's I can't say that about any other woman I can't say that they're my wife they're not my wife She's my wife. I can't say about any other church that it's acceptable to God if it doesn't fall under the guidelines that God has set before it. And that's not, a, that's not being mean or hateful. It's not being rude or, or being unkind. Right. But that is what a lot of people think. Sure. You, you get the, you're the only ones going to heaven, and you're Bible-thumpers who hate homosexuals, and you hate people who believe that their body, their choice, and all, you're so hateful. Wayne, what would you do if someone said that to you?
1: Well, you know, typically that's a loaded question. Right. It it really is, you know. Uh, Any of those that you just mentioned would be a loaded question. Um, And and I don't know if they're just looking for a fight or if they're looking. So I think the best way to handle that oftentimes is to try to diffuse the situation, diffuse the tension Mm -hmm. to some degree. Because typically that happens as we've been studying something you know, um, for them to know some specifics about the Church of Christ and then to turn around and say, you know, that you're hateful, you must be a hateful people, you know, in that way. Something has happened or something has made them think that. So I, I really want to know what it is. I genuinely want to know. I, I, I'd like for them to tell me. So I'm going to ask them, you know, well, what, what is it that, that would make you say that the Church of Christ is, is hateful in that way? And I, and I would let them yeah, yeah, vent, get it out, whatever it is that you think that you have to, to say or whatever. And we can go from there as far as how that continued conversation is going to take place. And But as that conversation continues and they've, they've said their piece, whatever they think that it is, you know, I'm going to turn back around. And I'm going to say, okay, you know, well, would you like to know what the Bible says about whatever it is that they have issue with? and because and what, what I'm what i going to try to do is I'm going to try to engage people with Scripture, try to get people back to the Bible, back to studying their Bible, and a question like that that comes about is an emotional question. Uh, we, we've called it a loaded question, yeah. but it is it's an emotional question. I'd like to get us away from that emotional part of that conversation, diffuse it as best we can, and say, you know, do you want to get back to uh, what the Bible says here, you want to know what the Bible has to say about whatever that issue is, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be about the one church what, what is the specific thing that 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 's caused that question that loaded question uh, for them to think that the church is is hateful a lot of times it's the the, um, the fact that the church is exclusive and in our society that 's a bad that 's a bad word right. um, and so if you 're exclusive, that means you 're not including everyone. Um, And certainly a God who is a loving God includes everyone. Yeah, God sent His only begotten Son to die for all. He so loved the world, John 3 16. But that doesn't mean that all are going to be saved. In fact, Jesus Himself taught that there would be few that find it. Mm -hmm. When many are going to be lost and go in the way of destruction, Matthew 7 13 and 14. So that, that tells me that the church itself is exclusive because it's the Lord's church. It's not my church. Wayne doesn't own the church, and, and neither does, does Michael, for yeah. that matter, you know. So uh, the only one who is the head of the church is Jesus Christ. So it is exclusive in its very nature, and that upsets some people. But we have a way that if people are honest enough and want to be honest— with Scripture and with themselves, that we can get back to Scripture and we can find out what the Bible says. And that, that's the approach that I would take with that that type of question, that type of individual that, that, I, that we're having to deal with.
0: I find it interesting. It just kind of struck me. The church is His body. Mm-hmm. We learn that in the book of Ephesians, as well as there's only one I find it so amazing that people get so upset with how the Lord wants to govern his body. Right. When one of the very arguments we hear today is it's my body, it's my choice. Sure. Well it's the Lord's body therefore mm-hmm. it's his choice on how he wants it to run. And is a doctor considered hateful when he tells the patient that they have cancer? No. I've never once heard someone in their right mind Suggest that the doctor was mean and cruel when he came in and gave the diagnosis that they didn't want to hear
1: Yeah,
0: I, I've had that happen in my own life I've got a, a disease that uh, you know affects my immune system and how I you know digest and how I handle food and all this kind of thing And I could tell when the doctor came in after we did the procedure to try to figure out if I had it or not That he was heavy-hearted yeah, and then he didn't like any he came in with the the images. Mr. Clark This is what we're looking at. Here's what we're looking at. Here's what you've got and I remember he looked at me and said I'm so sorry why? He didn't do it. Right. He didn't take pleasure in telling me that my life was altered for the rest of my life because there's no cure for what I have currently. Sure. So suppose that he'd done it the other way, though, the way that we want the world to treat sin. Suppose he would looked at the chart, saw what I had, and goes, this is going to ruin his life. So I'm not going to tell him. I'm just going to walk in. Mr. Clark, everything's fine. I could have sued him down the road when I got worse in my health for lying to me you know, on Judgment Day, we're going to have people that are going to get so upset if we don't tell them the truth. And the song you never mentioned it to me, we're going to have people that basically, look. you knew that I was not doing well, right. and you never said anything, but there are also going to be on Judgment. people on Judgment Day that they're going to look at us and go, I'm so sorry. I, I You know, if, if you could picture it that way, I never believed you,
1: yeah.
0: and I should have. It, it's too late. The Lord governs His body. The way he sees fit, and the body is the church, and the church he has certain expectations and certain rules and requirements that must be met in order for that church to be pleasing to him. But I find it interesting that you know in in Galatians four, and verse sixteen, you have Paul telling the the churches of Galatia, "Am I now your enemy because I've told you the truth? Are you mad at me because I'm doing what is helpful to you? Uh, you know." my wife and I when we took our son for his first doctor's visit you know they gave him a shot Mm -hmm. and they were some of those long needles you know that they gave the shot with and uh, he didn't like it not many babies do he he kinda looked up I remember he looked at Megan and just started crying and I'm sitting there going he doesn't get it but this is what's best for him we're helping him in the long run when I was five years old my mom took me to be vaccinated to give me the opportunity to, to be you know, resistant to the bad diseases that could have come upon me and could have really made me sick. I didn't like that. I don't like needles. I don't like blood. And, and some of the very things that they did required blood and definitely sure. required a lot of needles. <laughs> well, I never looked at my mom as I've gotten older. At the time, I probably hated her guts because I was five and didn't know <laughs> any better. But I've never looked at her as I've gotten older and thought, man, how cruel was she for doing that? Because she did it out of love. Right. She did what was going to be hard to do out of love. And when I look at an individual, and I, I've said this a lot in my recent preaching, and I'm going to continue to say it, I don't like believing it any more than I like preaching it, but I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. Yeah. This is what the text says. I, I would love to be able to look at an individual and say, yeah, live how you want to live. You do whatever you want to do. There's no problem with that. But I'd be lying to them. Sure. I'd love to be able to tell an individual, you don't want to come back to church on Sunday night? Who cares, man? You go to the game. You go watch the Super Bowl. It's fine. But I can't do that. Yeah. Because if I do that, I don't truly love them. Love causes for hard conversations. I'm sure, I know it's happened in my life, and I'm sure it's happened in yours, where our spouses have told us things we probably didn't want to hear, but sure. we needed to hear. And we may not have liked hearing it when we were told, <laughs> and we probably didn't even maybe handle it the best way because we're like, come on, that's not true. But we needed to hear it. Yeah, That's what love does. Love does what's best for the individual, even if that individual doesn't understand it. And... The problem that we have today is we've bought into this culture based on a lie that Satan is told that in order to be loving, you have to just be accepting of everything. Okay, well, then am I to accept a murderer because he's just that way? No, I obviously speak out against that, and I have seen people that do that. They speak out against murder. They speak out against what right. they deem to be wrong. Right. Well, then they're not truly practicing what they preach. Not being consistent. Right. You're not being consistent enough because if you're going to say love is acceptance, then you must accept everything. Well, the problem is that's a slippery slope. That brings us into a danger of you have to accept pedophilia because that's just how someone's programmed. Mm -hmm. But no one's going to suggest that. I can't then turn around and suggest that I have to just accept homosexuality when my Lord tells me that I can't. And it's not because I'm hateful. Right. It's because I'm loving. It's because I love you enough that I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to face what the Bible says is coming for an individual that does what is against God's word. And when the Bible calls something unnatural that goes against nature,
1: yeah,
0: I need to be able to tell people in love. Now, there obviously, you know, I'll say this, and then I've mm-hmm. got another question to ask you. But and obviously, we've got the right and the wrong way to do it. Yeah. You know, there's obviously the way to handle it, Galatians 6-1, the spirit of meekness. The yeah. spirit of meekness dictates that I handle it with care. I liken this in a Bible class recently to, you know, in the, in the TV shows when there's a bomb that needs to be diffused. I have never seen on a TV show the officers go, all right, everybody, ready, fire, and they start shooting at the bomb. I've never seen the bomb squad take a baseball bat to the thing. They always handle it very cautiously. They're walking slowly just in case the vibration might set off the bomb. They're so careful. They're so concerned. We need to treat sin that way. Being so careful and so concerned but still deal with the problem. They still go and defuse the bomb. We still need to try to go defuse it but in the right way with the right attitude and the right mindset. But I think the problem that we face the most, Wayne, is this idea that it really doesn't matter where we go doesn't matter what we do, we're all worshiping the same God. It's kind of like you drove a certain route to get here today, and I drove another, but we both got here. So what would you do if someone said that to you? It doesn't matter who we were, how we worship, we're all worshiping God.
1: Well, the problem is the analogy doesn't match, mm-hmm. and that's what they, they've expected us to accept their premise, right. and it doesn't match. It's not, it's not uh, ending up in the same place, you know. And and so I think about Acts chapter 17. You have Paul the Apostle Paul, and he's on uh, Mars Hill, and he's preaching there in Athens, and uh, the, the statement uh, that, is, uh, that is made, uh, verse 22, it begins, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too religious, or too superstitious, the King James, too religious. These were a religious group of people, Right. And he says you're 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 over religious. You're 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 too much. And I would liken it to you're too inclusive of everything. Why? Paul says I beheld your devotions. Literally, I beheld this altar and that altar and this altar and that altar. And we would we would do the same thing today. We would drive through town and we go, well, there's a church building, there's a mm-hmm. church building, there's a church building. This kind of church, this kind of church, this kind of church, that kind of church. And we w- we would see the same thing, and we do. It doesn't, you know, on on the ride here and on the ride home, we'll pass, you know, twenty different groups, religious groups, maybe, uh, or maybe more. And, and Paul is saying you're too, you're over religious, you're accepting of all of these things, and they were, they were accepting of uh, an altar to this god, an altar to that god, an altar to this god, and so forth. And Paul says, and you have this uh, this altar that's over here that with the the superscription under that says to the unknown god. Uh, so just in case we miss one, maybe, or just just because there's the unknown God. And he says, let me tell you about him. You know, I, I get you people are a religious people, but, but let me tell you about this one that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. You worship him ignorantly. They didn't know him or how to worship him. And so that was, that was something that was, that was important. You know, Paul's, you know, Paul you're being pretty rude these these people are religious these you know, why are you even going to them to begin with? I mean, they have religion. Go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, Paul says, You're you're too religious. You, you've taken it way too far. You've got all of these altars to all of these different groups out here. And he says, That's not that's not right. But let me teach you about the unknown God. And he says, you know, that God, he doesn't need man's hands to to, uh, to, to build him something so that he might be worshipped. He's the God of all creation, he's the God of heaven, and so and, and so he begins to, to teach them about the unknown God. And then I find this, this phrase, And he hath made of one blood all nations, this is verse 26, mm-hmm. of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Now he knows every individual. God knows. And he's made all these different groups of people, races of people, folks from different nations, different backgrounds. And guess what? They, they worship all of these different beings and groups, you know, and stuff like that. And he says, he says, and hath determined the times therefore appointed, the bounds of their habitation, that they should, who? All of these, of, these of all one blood, he says, that they should seek the Lord if happily, not happily, but happily, they might feel after him and find him though he's not ev- far from every one of us. In him we live, we move, we have our being. He says, even your own poets have talked about him when he says we're his offspring. That's the unknown God. Was Paul being too exclusive here? Was Paul being hateful? Not at all. He was teaching them. Folks, you, you've, you've, you've missed it. You've overshot, so to speak. These were a zealous, worshiping type of people. Mm-hmm. He says, you've, you've missed the boat here. The unknown God, He doesn't need your temples. He doesn't need your altars. He needs your heart. You need to answer to Him. He's the one. These others, they, they, they mean nothing. You answer to Him. And so He says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You're going to have to repent of all this over-worship to these other groups. Now, you could say Paul was being, I mean, our society would say, Paul, he's being hateful. He must hate all these other religious groups. That's not the case. Paul loved them. Paul gave, you know, literally would give his life for the cause of Christ. And and Paul went into these different places and and sacrificed so much so that he could preach the gospel. That's not because he hated them. That's not because he hated all these other groups. It's because he loved them. hmm and, and our society is wrong for teaching us that we can't teach people the truth, and to know that there is a truth, and that that is exclusive in itself. Right. And that's the that's the problem that our society faces. But you know, um, it it does make a difference what we believe. And we're not being harsh. We're being loving and trying to teach people the truth.
0: I mean, did it matter which tree Adam and Eve ate from?
1: Mm. It, it seemed to.
0: Did it matter what wood Noah used? Did it matter who offered the sacrifice in 1 Samuel 13? And that's where I want to kind of close yeah, this out. Sure. You've got Saul, and he's been told by Samuel, give me seven days, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8, and I'll be there. Now Samuel's the only one authorized to offer the sacrifice. And it, it says that Saul waits seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. The people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he finished that who would come up but Samuel. <laughs> Talk about irony of irony. No doubt. Here's Samuel and if maybe Saul just waited a few more minutes, Samuel would have come up. But I find it amazing, amazing to me. In both Samuel 13 and Samuel 15, Saul always thinks that he hasn't done that big of a problem. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. He goes out to greet Samuel and the very first thing Samuel says is, what have you done? What have you done? And perhaps Samuel smells the sacrifice. Sure. Perhaps he smells the burning of, of the, the offering that has been made. And Saul says, well, I saw that the people were scattered from me, and you, mm-hmm. you didn't come within the days that you appointed. It's your fault if you really think about it, Samuel. Adam, it's really your fault, God, if you really think about it, because you mm-hmm. gave me this woman. Right. Um, that didn't work, and it didn't work in Saul's case because he says, well, I know the Philistines are going to come down, verse 12, and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Well, can I honestly tell you, and you're gonna—I know you'll agree with this—but he didn't make supplication to the Lord (laughs) because he wasn't authorized to offer that sacrifice. And I can't go against God's authority and expect it to be okay. And Samuel tells Saul, "You've done foolishly. You've not not kept the commandment of the Lord. The Lord would have established your kingdom forever, but not anymore." You think of what Saul did. In one fell swoop, and in in the span of three chapters, he destroyed his legacy. By offering a sacrifice that wasn't his to offer and by sparing things in chapter 15 that weren't his to spare. So God does care how and why we do certain things and when I go to a place and they say well it doesn't matter where we worship, it doesn't matter what we believe, like you said that that doesn't hold water because the Bible teaches very clearly it mattered in Leviticus 10 with Nadab and Abihu. Yeah. It mattered in you know Daniel 1 when he had made this covenant with the Lord that in the diet that would have gone against the covenant of God and he said look this is too important we can't break our covenant. It mattered in Daniel 3 and in Daniel 6 when yeah. the kingdom had said this is authorized you can do in fact you must do this. They weren't given a choice right. but they had one nonetheless and that was to serve God. I, I think it's so impressive that just those few examples alone, while quick, that they paint a powerful picture, and what you've said as well paints a powerful picture. Just because you're religious, it doesn't matter. Cornelius was religious, but it hmm. didn't matter. Cornelius was a good man, but it wasn't enough. If being good were enough, then we wouldn't have anything to worry about. We wouldn't even have a need to go to worship. We'd just be good people. But the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that I can know what the truth is, And I can know that the truth will set me free, but I also can know in multiple of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote it to people who were struggling with following after God's commands. Therefore, doing it against what God has written doesn't work. It didn't work for Corinth. It didn't work for Galatia. It didn't work for any of the number of people that Paul wrote to that had problems. Every church that he wrote that had a difficulty to it, it didn't work for some of the churches of Asia. Sure. You know, where, where Jesus would even say, I've spewed you out of my mouth because I found you lukewarm, not pleasing to me. We've got to please God. And it's not going to matter where we worship. That No, that's not true. It does matter where we worship. We've got to
1: worship the Lord and Spirit. I know,
0: I know that my Redeemer lives.
1: I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know... Uh- d